look at any product management job listed on LinkedIn in Silicon Valley, you'll see that dozens, maybe even hundreds of people have applied to that job just on LinkedIn. And that doesn't even count those who've applied using other channels. So what do you call it when there are hundreds of options to choose from in a buying decision, like the hiring manager has in that situation? Well, you might call it a commodity market. Is that what we product managers are in our job search, commodities? Well, it's definitely one way to look at it. But even in commodity markets, some products stand out and create their own niche, and that's what we have to do as product managers searching for a job. What are the techniques for differentiating yourself in a commodity market to become more than just a commodity? Well, there's lots of techniques for doing this, and that's what we're going to talk about in this episode of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, the podcast for product managers, product marketers, and other folks trying to bring great products to market, and sometimes trying to get a new job. I'm Nils Davis, your host. Fire. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition. I'll be talking about this problem roughly and simplistically, let's call it getting your next or first product manager job from a few different angles. First, managing your career like you'd manage a product and applying some of those product management thinking concepts to yourself. One of the most important is to reduce the perception of risk of hiring you. This is on the part of the hiring manager. That person has a lot of risk and there's a lot of concern on that person's part about whether they're gonna make a good hiring decision. And a big part of your job in your interview and throughout the whole process is to reduce that perception of risk with respect to yourself. And we're going to talk generally about the go-to-market process, especially the sales process, which when you're looking for a new product management job is the interview and the things around that related to yourself. Even before this pandemic hit, as many as half of the questions I get from product managers and people who want to become product managers relate to how to get that next or first product management job. Now, in this episode, I share a framework for thinking about the interview process, where you're trying to sell yourself to a hiring manager, metaphorically speaking, much as you would think about trying to sell your product to a prospect. But I know with the pandemic, for some of you, this has become more urgent, and it certainly will become even more urgent later on. The period after the quarantine will be challenging for all of us, trying to find a job in the inevitable recession. And of course, some of us who are lucky to have jobs that continue on during the lockdown might still be interested in moving on in our careers at some point in the future. So the good news is that you can apply your product management instincts and skills to finding a job. You're the product in this case. And of course, competition is stiff in this sales engagement. So you have to know how to best accentuate your differentiators and how to effectively reduce the hiring manager's perception of risk. All the tools of taking your product to market are at play when you're taking yourself to market. So I'll be introducing a lot of these ideas in this episode, but I can't really go as deep as I'd like in 20 to 30 minutes. And of course, I can't help you individually, unfortunately. Therefore, I'll be giving a free live masterclass later this week on April 30th, that's Thursday, on how to present your best self in interviews and on your resume. Basically, this takes the topics I present in this episode and goes a bit deeper. You can think of it as the basics of go-to-market for yourself, focused specifically on the needs of product managers. And again, that's this week on Thursday, April 30th. It's at 7.30 a.m. Pacific time. 
If you'd like to join the masterclass, go to alltheresponsibility.com slash masterclass to sign up for a spot. And if you sign up but can't make it live, I'll make sure you get the replay. Now, for those of you that want to go even deeper, get really into it and really get prepared and polish a few of your own stories with my coaching, you can join my boot camp in May. It will be a four-hour live online training over the course of four days, and the link for that is at alltheresponsibility.com bootcamp, and there is a discount for signing up early. So you've heard me say before that the job of a product manager is to find and validate market problems, create solutions to those problems, and then take the solutions to market to get buyers. So if we think of ourselves as the product or solution, where does this mapping take us? What can we learn from that? Well, as usual, the solution, you, is actually the least important of the three components, at least as far as the hiring manager is concerned. Given that product manager candidates are easy to find, that is, we're a commodity, the go-to-market is where you need to focus your attention on getting the hiring manager to buy you or to hire you. So you're in the situation where there's a validated market problem. You know that there are product management jobs out there. You have a solution to that problem that's complete and has differentiators. That's you. And now you need to convince prospects to buy. Your big challenge is you have a lot of competition. And that's actually kind of the big difference between trying to find a job as a product manager and trying to sell enterprise software, actually nearly any product. In most product categories, unless it's a commodity, there are going to be a few, maybe as many as a handful, but usually not that many good candidates. Even in a segment like project management tools, where I used to work, there are hundreds of tools in that segment. But for a particular type of project management office or approach or size of company, especially at the enterprise level, there are only maybe five or six good choices depending on the specific needs of the prospect. However, if you're a hiring manager trying to hire a product manager, there are probably hundreds of people who could do the job. 50 of them have sent you their resumes, and you've tried to winnow that list down to 10 who you will interview. And the chances are that 8 out of those 10, and definitely 20 out of the 50, would actually be great for your job. So your job as a job seeker is to figure out how to raise your chances of beating all that competition. And this is where we apply everything we know about go-to-market. So if you think about when a prospect is looking to buy something, when they're looking to choose between the three to five good alternatives for their big problem, how do they do it? Well, it's a combination of things like they look at the differentiating features. They assess their feelings about working with one company or another. That's kind of a personal level, potentially subjective level feeling. They think about their previous experiences with one or more of the solutions. They may look to experiences of their peers or other people they trust. And of course, they are going to assess their perception of risk, of buying, of not buying, of buying the wrong thing, of buying something that doesn't work. So putting ourselves in the hiring manager's shoes, the big issues weighing on the hiring manager are the risks, not the value of hiring you. There are three big risks. Can this person do the job? Do they have the skills? And can I trust what they tell me about their skills? Now, even if they have the talent, can they learn the domain fast enough and fit into our culture and our way of working? And you can think of this as kind of the change management risk. And there's sometimes a question of, can I afford this person? Is there a better deal? Should I spend my money elsewhere? Maybe even hiring a designer instead of a product manager, for example. And this is kind of, you can think of it as an opportunity cost risk. Now, you might 
recognize these risks from my episodes about the value inequality that we have to deal with with our prospects. The value that the hiring manager gets from bringing you on board has to significantly outweigh the combination of those risks. So in other words, they have to get a lot more value from you or the value that they're going to get from you is got to be really significantly more than their perception of the risk of hiring you. So your job as an interview, of course, is to increase the value that the hiring manager sees in you. That's typically hard if you're a commodity, of course, and you want to reduce their perceived risks, and that might be a little bit more doable. So how do you apply these ideas to the job search and to the interview? Well, you obviously have to think about what your differentiators are, what makes you different from the other interviewees, from the other product manager candidates. And what about the interaction with the buyer? And how do you reduce the perception of risks? Those are the things you want to be thinking about. Well, most interview guides focus on the easiest point, making it kind of easy to do business with you. This is really about the interaction with the buyer. Dress nicely, be polite, don't interrupt, let the interviewer talk, things like that. But because a lot of those interview guides are very general, they don't say much about the differentiation you bring to the table or how to reduce risk. Now, if you're lucky, your resume itself has some differentiating experience built in. For example, having worked at Google or Facebook, it is often considered to be differentiating. Whether that's an appropriate consideration or not is a different question. So you might have some differentiating experience, but a lot of us don't. So what else can differentiate us? Well, I'm going to tell you about one particular skill that I think is differentiating. But I think, generally speaking, the differentiating part of our resume is not going to be as compelling as the risk reduction. So the ability to tell stories does contribute to your differentiation. And that's a concrete skill that if you get better at, you'll be more valuable, all else being equal. Now, the good news is that sometimes a small differentiator, like being a good storyteller, can make a big impact on the perception of value, the plus side of the value inequality, so to speak. After all, in the kingdom of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. If all the other candidates interviewing are terrible at telling stories, but you are skilled at it, as demonstrated in your interview, then that should give you a leg up. But, of course, your stories, the ones you tell in the interview, really serve a different purpose beyond simply differentiating you as a storytelling ninja. Storytelling isn't a valuable skill just because it makes a nice bullet point on your resume. Its value arises because it's one of the best tools for improving your go-to-market. Now, I've talked about this in many episodes, and I'll link to a few in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 64. And what's really going to help you in the interview process is not that you can tell stories. It's the stories that you're going to tell. Because it's through your stories of your own achievements, of course, that you will reduce the hiring manager's perceptions of risk of hiring you. Now, as I was thinking about commodities, I thought of this little story. And this is a made-up story, but you can see how it might apply to some of the things that we're talking about here. So we'll start with a little example of how storytelling might help another type of commodity product. So imagine your product is screws. Your screws are much like other people's screws. They hold things together. They have standard sizes. They fit standard tools and all that. But your screws also happen to be what is holding the Empire State Building together. Now, I don't know if there are any screws that fit the category, to be honest, but let's just say that we have that fact. So the question is, would you use that fact in your marketing and in your data sheets? You know, even screws, which are commodities, have to be marketed to some degree, 
even if it's just in their packaging and their manufacturer's website. So I think you would definitely mention the Empire State Building connection if you could, which immediately differentiates you a little bit and maybe enough to persuade a buyer that they might as well buy your screws, the ones holding up the Empire State Building, instead of the competitor screws, which maybe even cost less, 10 cents less per hundred. Now, the good news is that if your screws really are commodities, then it's likely that most of that extra 10 cents turns into profit for you. Maybe you spend a penny more per hundred on marketing, and you get nine cents more per, more profit per 100. Now, that's not a bad deal, especially if that marketing also wins you more market share. So this is a wonderful story, right? But how does it relate to us, the commodity product manager? What's our version of holding up the Empire State Building? Well, there's two kind of subtle aspects of this. One is that simply thinking about this in terms of stories that create differentiators is likely to give you a leg up on some of your competition who will just give the marketing pitch equivalent to, I am a screw, I am a standard size, and I will work with your existing tools. In other words, not a very good story about their capabilities. And of course, technically speaking, we are all individuals with specific experiences, and these experiences are really our differentiators. And all the other candidates also have their own differentiating experiences, but if they're not telling compelling stories, and you are, that's going to give you an advantage. And that's really the point of this whole episode. So the question then becomes, how do you best take advantage of your own experiences? Obviously, I'm going to say, learn to tell stories about your own experiences. How does this reduce the perception of risk on the part of the hiring manager? Well, there's a few ways. There's a saying, to understand what a person is really like, don't listen to what they say, watch what they do. No one, unfortunately, knows who originally said this, and there are a lot of versions. But the point is that you're that actions speak louder than words, to quote yet another old saying. The biggest risk for a hiring manager might even be bigger than all the others I've listed. They can't actually see you do the job, so they don't know whether you can do it. There's usually no free 14-day trial, as there might be for one of our products, and the recommendations and references they get from others might be a little too rosy, or they might just be empty platitudes. As a result, Many interviews boil down to questions that try to get at what you did in different challenging situations. These are often called behavioral questions. The goal is to understand how you behave when confronted with a challenge. You know, these are questions or requests like, tell me about a time you were innovative, or how have you handled the situation when you had to work with a difficult person? Or can you talk to me about a time when you had to say no to a customer? The logic of these questions is that your success in the past is going to be a positive indicator of your success in the future. So your stories of what you actually did, although still somewhat subject to wariness on the part of the hiring manager, are the hiring manager's best ability to assess what you can really do and what you are really like. A good story about something you actually accomplished can illustrate that you can do the job. That reduces the risks that you can't do the job, obviously. (laughs) So what about change management costs? We all know it takes a long time to become an expert on your new product when you're first hired, but you also need to start creating value early. Now, this is particularly a challenge if you're interviewing for a job that's outside the domains that you've worked in before. And there's two ways that you can kind of address that as a new product manager, and it's good to have some stories about this. Obviously, you come in to a new job with fresh eyes, irrespective of whether you've been in the domain or not. And if you can show or tell a story about how you use that fresh perspective to solve a problem that others either couldn't see 
or couldn't conceptualize how to solve because of their blinders, that's a great story to have in your pocket. So you want to think about how did my new eyes help me solve a problem that was challenging when I started. Secondly, sometimes you just have to start throwing yourself into a situation or you might even get thrown in. Like I had to soon after I started at my current job, I had to come in and take over a project that had been running for two years and was just about to be released when the product manager on that product had essentially a stress-related medical disability and had to leave. So I didn't really know the product at that point, and for various reasons it was difficult to learn it in detail, and I could go into that. But there I was, just having to shepherd the product over the finish line, and then we could move along. So it was a, supposed to be a pretty low-risk kind of situation. But what actually happened was that as we started our staged rollout, we discovered that one of the assumptions that had been made about a key use case was wrong. So we're not sure how that happened, and it did happen before I was involved, luckily, but the product couldn't be released as it was. It would have failed. So I got to make the great decision, after I'd been on board for just a few months at this point, to delay the release another month so it wouldn't fail. I had to go in front of a bunch of executives who barely knew me and explain this and how we were going to fix it and how we were going to claw our way back to our originally planned final rollout date. And I was able to go in there, tell the executives that we had to delay for a month, and I got out of the room alive, which I thought at the time was pretty good. And in fact, aside from this little delay, this was one of the most successful rollouts at this company, according to some of the folks that have been there a long time. So we were able to hit our target date for the completed rollout, and our customers got the advantage of a much improved initial experience with our product. And not only that, but because I had given this presentation in kind of a tricky situation, I started to gain a bit of a reputation as a skilled presenter and a good persuader, and I became recognized as someone who could get things done and was therefore given other projects that had impossible written all over them, so to speak. Now, the point of that story is that it shows that even though I didn't really know the domain very well, I was able to go in and create value very quickly. In fact, I was able to salvage a situation that might have gone badly. And I tell that story because, well, I like the story, but I also tell the story because it's a good example of the type of story that you want to have in your back pocket. And I also structured it in such a way that it flowed as a story, right? There was a problem, there was a thing I did to solve that problem, and then there was some there was sort of a, some results, including a transformation at the end. Now, there are several particular types of stories that are good for these core perceptions of risk on the part of the hiring manager. And so here are a few specific stories you should think about having when you're doing your interviewing. So one of them is how you solved a problem that is similar to the types of problems that this company is facing, but in an innovative way. So this helps address the will it work, meaning will you work, will you be effective? It addresses that risk. You might want to think about stories about how you worked with a person much like them and fit in effectively. This type of story helps address the change management risk, and it helps the hiring manager think of you as a good potential contributor to the culture. Stories of how you start to deliver value very fast are really important for that opportunity cost risk. And then stories of how you handled difficult situations, of course, are always really valuable. And this might be working with a difficult person, finding out you made a mistake and having to fix it, or as the story I just told, finding out that there was a business requirement misunderstanding and you had to delay things and fix things 
but you still got everything out on time, things like that. There are also other good story types that are useful in particular situations. So does the hiring manager have specific concerns in addition to their general perception of risk? You know, what are they thinking about when they're trying to hire you? Now, you can ask open-ended questions to try to learn more, and you don't always get answers to those questions. But if you can, it will really help direct your use of stories. For example, it might be that they have a sudden vacancy. The product manager that was working on the project has left and joined another company, and so they have to fill that hole. Um, so at that, in that situation, I would obviously use my story that I just shared about how I took over a product launch late in the process and got it to market. You know, if they have a problem they can't figure out how to make their technology address, then you can tell your story about how you, as a new person, came into a legacy company with new eyes and figured out a way to get a new offer to market using the legacy technology, even though no one had been able to figure out how to do that before. Chances are you have a story that's something like that. And if they've been rolled over by engineering management building whatever they want, then you will want to have a story about how you influenced a recalcitrant team to build the feature you determined the market needed rather than the sexier feature that they wanted to build, but which would, but which would not impact sales as much. So you want to have a set of stories in your back pocket. The f- fact is that you have probably done a lot of these things. You've had a lot of these accomplishments, but you have the stories to go along with them. Lots of product managers have not made that jump from I did some things to let me tell you a story about the time I dot, dot, dot. You know, I have a few episodes about the most basic story structure you can use and even how you can use the structure to tell your own stories about your own accomplishments. And I'll put some links to those in the show notes. I don't have time to go into that bit of training in this episode. So again, links to the previous episodes in the show notes. And I also have some YouTube videos about this topic as well. And that brings me back to the masterclass. If you want some more training on storytelling for interviews, don't forget about my live masterclass on Thursday, April 30th. That's in two days from the drop of this episode. And my live four-hour bootcamp where I'll work with you to polish a few stories that's coming up in May. So to sign up for the masterclass, go to alltheresponsibility.com slash masterclass. The masterclass is free. And to be notified when the doors open, which will be very soon, for the boot camp, go to allresponsibility.com slash boot camp. There's a great deal for early birds, including a discount on follow-up group coaching, which is really valuable. That's what my coaching clients have said. Now, if you missed any of those links, just go to allresponsibility.com slash 64 for the show notes. And this has been episode number 64 of the All the Responsibility podcast. I hope you found this information useful. If so, please consider liking, rating, reviewing, and or sharing this episode with your colleagues and other product managers you know. Let me know what you think of this topic. You can leave a comment on the show notes page at alltheresponsibility.com slash 64, or you can drop me a line at nils at nilsdavis.com, or you can tweet at me. I'm Nils Davis on Twitter. And until next time, this is Nils Davis. Bye-bye. We have ignition.